0: Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at antiochrawley.com. All right. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I'm looking forward to this morning, and also, uh, a little unfortunate, last night, accidentally drank some caffeine, so I was like, all right, I'll go to bed early, 9, 9 p.m., go to sleep, wake up early, finish, like, compiling all the information for a sermon, make an outline, and then midnight hit, and I was, like, still awake, lying in bed, like, this was a mistake. Uh, so that was unfortunate. I sent Ben Mayo a fantasy football trade and started reading another book, and it just wasn't happening, but, uh, so I'm waiting for your response, Ben. So... Didn't get a lot of sleep last night, but I'm here. And second, unfortunate thing that happened is uh, I've been waking, waiting for the sermon for the past few weeks. I've known I'm going to preach today on government and politics. So if you feel any stress on that, just you can take a deep breath, collectively, and just let it go. Uh, and if I were being honest, I didn't know a ton about our Christian response in the role of government and politics. So the only thing I knew how to do was just start reading. So I read a lot of books. And then, unfortunately, as I started reading each book, I realized each little chapter could be a sermon. And then I ran into the issue of having way too much information. And then I was like, "This isn't good. I don't know how to cut this down. I don't know how to focus." And uh, I don't know. I think Steve might experience that sometimes. Uh, but I ran into. I had way too much going on. Um, I threw Steve under the bus. <laughs> we love Steve. Um, So I would would appreciate starting off in prayer and us talking about politics and also to give some space for y'all to pray for me that the Lord would speak through me uh, well and the midst of information and all the different things going on, uh, that there would be clarity and that this would not be your full answer to government and politics, but this would be for us as a congregation a framework for us to have conversations and to take a step forward together in unity Um, to know how to converse about these things, how to talk about these things, how to think about these things well, because a sermon isn't going to change. I expect nothing for your partisanship or your politics to change after the sermon. That's not my goal. My goal is for us to have a framework of what it looks like to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven and to be faithful citizens of the United States of America, and how to faithfully live in that context and then have conversations together and talk about these things that can be so divisive in our country. So, before I get into other things and start preaching, I love just to, to, to pray. Uh, I'm going to read a political prayer out of uh, the scriptures, and then I'm going to give some time for us to pause, pray, and ask the Lord to speak to your heart. And would you also pray that His grace would be upon me to speak to you? So, this is Ephesians chapter 1. It's very political, FYI. So, get ready. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. And Jesus is seated far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion. And he is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And the Father put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. It's the fullness of him, and he fills all in all." Jesus, we thank you that you are king. Jesus, we thank you for your death and resurrection. We thank you that you right now are ruling and reigning in heaven. And we thank you that one day, when your kingdom is fully realized, that there will be people from every single nation represented worshiping you. We thank you that you you died to save people from every nation, every tribe, every language. And we thank you for your kingdom. And we thank you that your kingdom is here and now and your kingdom is not fully yet. we thank you that you're coming back and returning. And we look forward to that day, the day of your return, the day where a benevolent, loving king rules and reigns over the nations. So we ask Jesus that today your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Amen. And if you all could take a, just 30 seconds, pray for yourself and pray for me. just going to give you space to do that. Jesus, thank you for your spirit. Help me, help us. Amen. Amen. All right, so I'll just start off real quick with a little bibliography. Before then, though, worship is powerful. That was awesome. I don't know why I'm preaching. I feel like we should keep worshiping. <laughs> that, was, that was powerful. Uh, and I'm excited for us to worship again. Uh, it's a sweet time to be able to worship our King and lift him up. All right, so I'm going to give you some bibliography stuff that I would encourage you all to read. Uh, first and foremost, the Bible. That was my reference, um, one of my references, so the Bible, it's breathed out by God, super important, it be the foundation of all the things that you should do, um, so first and foremost, that's it. So these are the things that I've read over the past um, year that are kind of in the realm of government and politics, uh, or philosophy and how that, you know, challenges us. I put my email at the bottom, if you want to email me you have any questions after the sermon or concerning anything up there, I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, but the first three I would encourage well, first four including the Bible. The first three I'd really encourage How the Nations Rage is about how to view government and politics in light of scripture and eternity. It's a great book. Benwickle recommended it, and he did one of his political sermons a few years ago based upon that book. Then the next two, Love Thy Body, I just finished, and that is by far the best book I've read this year in terms of philosophy understanding our culture, having a great framework for science and biology and the human body. I would encourage everyone in the room to read it. I think it is a fantastic book, followed by A Strange New World by Carl T- Truman. So he's a longer version, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's 400 pages. It's pretty dense and repetitive. Then he has an easier version that is only like 170, and I got 20% through it last night. I couldn't fall asleep. So it's called Strange New World. It's the same thing, just made a little bit more condensed. Would also encourage you to read it. He goes through the history of how we got to understanding the self and who we are today, tracking back from the 1600s to now. It's really fascinating. Uh, it's really interesting, and that helps shape uh, a lot of what I'll be talking about. The rest of the th- books I've read and will be have shaped part of what I'll communicate today, but won't be refer- referencing them specifically. Would encourage you to read them. Uh, I might not agree with every single conclusion or every single word the author says, so I'll preface that. But they were. Um, Some of these books have been life-changing for me in having a right worldview, according to scripture. So I'll leave you with that, and we're gonna begin. So our role as citizens of heaven is to faithfully represent our king in his character and his righteousness and incarnate the realities of his word and truth in our sphere of influence. So that's just, blanket, that's my my thesis. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and our role is to faithfully today, here and now on earth, represent our king who is ruling and reigning in heaven. And we do that by representing his character, his righteousness, his love, his truth, his justice, his peace, that we represent that here and now, and that we incarnate those realities. We don't just say it, but we live it. It's part of our being, and that affects our doing. But it's part of who we are, And that that we influence our sphere of influence. So some of you might have a greater sphere of influence than others when it comes to government and politics. And that's great. Uh, If someone works in government, you by far have a greater sphere than I do because I'm not working in government. (laughs) It's really simple. But where our sphere of influence is, that's where Jesus is inviting us to bring about change. So I have three main goals, and I don't think I have time, so I'll breeze through some of them. Once again, this is this is not supposed to be comprehensive. Uh, This is supposed to be a framework for us to have conversations as a community, because once again, a sermon isn't going to change you. Us walking together, pursuing truth, pursuing scripture, pursuing Jesus, pursuing wisdom and in humility with each other, that's what's going to bring about deep change in us, not just a little 25-minute sermon. That's all the time I've left. Uh, (laughs) So there's three things I want to briefly cover. The kingdom of God, which can be a sermon on its own. God's institution of government, in case you didn't know that, it's God's institution, therefore it's good. So if you heard like phrases like the best government is no government, that's just not God. So, sorry, that's wrong biblically. Uh, I would love to make a deeper argument, but we might get there, who knows. Uh and then the third thing is that I'd like to talk about is our call to be citizens of our country and focus on those called into the vocation of government and those who of us who are citizens and residents of our country. Because this isn't the theme of being called and commissioned, that's our summer series, of what does it mean for us to be sent out as missionaries into the world, to go into every nation and to preach good news. And that's not just the work of pastors, that's not the work of just the work of missionaries, that is the work of every single one of us in every single job, every discipline, every field, to be faithfully representing who Jesus is and how Jesus would do that job, the job that you were doing, how would he do it? So today we're focusing on government. So a fun story for you. So if you want to turn, you can turn into Joshua chapter 5. Some verses will be on the screen, some will not. This one will not. So if you want if you want to follow along in scripture, Joshua 5. This story. Should a compass and be kind of the, the guide, the plumb line, as we talk and go through the rest of the sermon. Um, this is kind of our, our, our worldview, what's happening. So I'll give you some background. We're going to start in verse 13. So Israel was in captivity in Egypt. Then they get delivered, and God is leading them to the promised land. And in leading them to the promised land, He said that you will drive out the nations, not because. I'm causing you to have dominion over them, but because there is judgment for their sins. Their sins have been complete and come to me, and I am bringing judgment to them. So Joshua is leading the people of Israel, who are the people of God, right? So the people of God, and they are going into the promised land, which is God's command, okay? So the people of God are going into the promised land. So God's people are following God's commands. Tracking? All right. So something kind of crazy happens. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, one of the first cities they were going to encounter, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. (laughs) Just no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The next chapter is Joshua obeying the Lord and going into taking over Jericho. So they are the people of God obeying the commandments of God. And still when he approaches this man and says, Are you for us or are you for them? He says, No. Your translation might say, Neither. I'm, that's the wrong question. It's not whether I'm on your side or not. I'm with the Lord. Uh, and Abraham Lincoln said something similar during the Civil War, saying that both sides are claiming that, they, that God's on theirs, and I'm afraid that we're not on his. It's not just a reality of saying, God is not on your, your party partisan side. He's not Republican, he's not Democrat. He's God. He's king. And our allegiance is to him first and foremost. And that might come in conflict with your party, it might come in conflict with your nation, that might come in conflict with your being and your thoughts and your opinions. And he's king. And our allegiance is to him, and we submit to him. So the question isn't: is God on our side? It's are we on his? And the issues that really tug at us that are very clear in scripture aren't partisan. Slavery wasn't a partisan issue, that was a heavenly kingdom issue. That was a perspective from eternity, from from kingdom, his throne and dominion, saying this is wrong, morally evil, and unjust. Abortion isn't a conservative issue, it's not a Republican issue, it's a kingdom issue. What he says goes, and we have to submit to that. And when that confronts us, and that it's a challenge, he's a simple response for us. If you're in his presence, the ground you're standing on is holy. And he's holy. He's our king. And he's going to come back and establish his kingdom. And we need to to be aligned with his kingdom and his values first and foremost. And so issues that are clear... Racism isn't a political or partisan issue, it's a kingdom issue because we're made in the image of God. Yes. And laws at the end of the day won't change a human heart. But they're good. <laughs> they're good. And so if you're gonna call the government, go and establish good laws, and we should absolutely reject immoral and unjust laws and see them undone. But at the end of the day, a law is powerless to change a human heart. But we should have good laws. I'm not saying that we should have We should not care about laws. They're good because they can establish justice and they can establish righteousness and they can prevent evil from happening to a higher degree. But when Jesus says, the greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, the law can't cause you to love your neighbor as yourself. That has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the church fills in. That's where we as the people of God fill in. And that'll be the last thing that I focus on today. So, I have good news and I have bad news for you. So, we're going to read Psalm chapter 2. You can turn there with me. I have really good news about our country, and I have some sad news about our country. But the perspective, once again, is eternity. So, we're going to read Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? And the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The nations rage against the Lord and his anointed. Unfortunately, the United States is lumped in with that. Our nation rages against the Lord and his anointed. But I have really good news it's also his heritage inheritance just like every other nation in the world they're his and there needs to be a deep value and love for our people our nation because you're born in this time in this nation you're born here this is part of our or or you immigrated here or you're resident here it is good to to love and value your nation and also to view it rightly that our nation will not be perfectly in line with the kingdom of god And the way that our nation will be aligned with the kingdom of God is when his kingdom comes and this nation submits to him. In Revelation 11, after the seventh trumpet blows, a loud voice in heaven says, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our God and of his son, Jesus. That's the reality. And that's really good news. Because on that day in eternity, when we worship Jesus, we're going to hear people singing in a bunch of different accents and dialects from America, in a bunch of different languages. America we were represented in all the different people groups within America, and every nation will be represented. Because our King loves the people of the earth and it died to redeem them and to bring them into his kingdom and his nation. And we're submitted to him, that King. And Isaiah. Shares about this. In Isaiah 9, you don't need to turn there. I'll just turn there quick. 15 minutes, two more points. We got this. We got this. All right, Isaiah 9. You all have heard this a lot on Christmas. It's just a great one to read year round. And I turned there and it flipped back over. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then Isaiah 11 talked about the Spirit of God being on Jesus. And it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the st- stump of Jesse, And a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord God shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So this was the prophetic words in Isaiah speaking about who our king would be. And we see throughout Jesus' life, and we'll have scriptures up there for Matthew, starting Matthew chapter 4, from the beginning of his ministry into the very end, he continually spoke about this one reality: the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. It's not fully yet but it is here. Repent. So Matthew 4, 17, it says in the beginning, when he began his ministry, from this time forth, Jesus began preaching, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we hear him in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the climactic portions of that sermon was Matthew six thirty three. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then this continues on, After he dies and rises again, he stayed with them for 40 days, speaking speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So he died and rose again, and he continued to teach them about the kingdom. And then he had this political statement that he made as he left. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and preach the gospel of the kingdom to every nation. Make disciples of every single nation we need to have a deep, robust view and understanding of the kingdom of God. We all have intuitively something in us that says we desire the kingdom of God and we desire the good life. We wake up and we live by that reality. But that needs to be shaped by what Jesus says the kingdom of God is and the availability of us accessing that kingdom today in the Holy Spirit. That's another sermon. I would encourage you all to read The Divine Conspiracy. That has been the most impactful books in my life. I think every single time I have a bibliography up there, it's up there. So I'd encourage you all to read it. Um, Tim finally did it, and it was good, right? It was good. Great. took me a few years, but he did it. So I'd encourage you all to read that. That gave me a robust view of the kingdom of God. And I'd encourage you all to ask about it in life group and talk about it, because I'm done on that portion, and we're moving on. (laughs) All right. (laughs) God's institution of government. So I want to talk about the purpose and limitation of government. I briefly talked about it. But this is from How the Nations Rage. I'm going to read you a quote from it. We should come in in with a clear view of what the government has been authorized and ordered by God to do. To exercise judgment, establish justice, and to build platforms of peace, order, and flourishing. Simple. So the government has boundaries of establishing justice. A simple way of thinking about justice and biblical justice is justice... um, Brings to the oppressed judgment, so the oppressed are judged, and the or the oppressor, sorry, the oppressor is <laughs> judged, and the oppressed are alleviated or set free. So th- those who have been oppressing, breaking, transgressing laws, breaking the law, those who are oppressing others, that there is judgment against them, and then those who are being oppressed, that there's alleviation, that they good news gets preached to them, that you help them out of the position that they are in, help them get out of it. Um, so, that would be really simple biblical justice, and we could talk about that another time, maybe in life group, maybe on Sunday morning, uh, but not on time today. But it's really simple. That's what the government's meant to do. Those are the boundaries of government. And they're supposed to help bring guardrails for human flourishing. But there's a few myths about government that I want to talk about. And one is the myth that we have of the idea that religion and government can be separate, it's impossible. Uh, because gov- every government is religious through and through. It, it's a myth to have an idea that secularism or a, a belief that is materialist or natural isn't religious. It's just as religious as a Christian worldview, as a Muslim worldview, as a Judaic worldview, as a Hindu worldview. All, every single worldview at its core is deeply religious. And when we come into com- to governmental conversation or political conversations, those Maybe outward gods or hidden gods are being brought to the table because it's deeply religious. If you have a view about how you're made and who you are and what your purpose is, that is a belief system, and that is a religion. It might not seem like one with... Diff- it might have different practices. It, we might not call that a name, but it's deeply religious at its core. And there's a myth that you can separate religion and state. Now, the yes, separation of church and state is, is a reality, but that is to say... The state is not sponsoring any particular religion, and the state does not have anything to say about the doctrine of that, of that religion. The state is not going into it and saying, this is what you need to talk about, this is what you can't talk about, X, Y, and Z. That there's a separation there. But it is good and right for faithful disciples of Jesus to bring their worldview, because they can't do anything otherwise, into political and governmental conversations because at the end of the day, we need to advocate for truth, and truth really simply is when you bump into reality. Uh, The truth is gravity exists, and it's super helpful when you get to make physics equations and know it, and if you try breaking it, it's going to break you. It's really simple. It's a truth. (laughs) Uh, No matter what you think about gravity, if you try to disobey gravity, it's just not going to happen. Or I'll I'll say something that's also the truth that you can't break no matter what. Uh, You cannot form a child without a Male sperm and a female egg. It's just not going to happen. It's, the laws of biology, you can't break it. That's what you will always forever need to make a baby. You can't do anything to get around that. That's the truth. That's just simple. And he made it that way. and It's good. So that, that, that's truth. We need to advocate for truth in the public sphere. And we need faithful disciples of Jesus that can and are willing to, to, to say that. Now, there's some issues, once again, that are clear, and there's some issues that aren't, and that's where wisdom comes into play. I'll talk about that as my third thing within what does it mean for us to be faithful as a church. Um, But there's just a myth that some things are not religious or therefore also neutral. Like, there's neutral beliefs or neutral ideas. Uh, If you want to talk more about that, some of the books up there talk about that. You have my email. Love to talk to you. We can have a more robust, richer conversation, Uh, but I'm going to move on to the next point. I mentioned this earlier, but there are limitations of laws. Yes, the government establishes laws, but once again, laws can't change human hearts. And there's a, a way that we can read some scriptures and misinterpret it. So I'm going to read Romans 13. We have it up there as well. Romans 13, 1 through 7. It's a classic scripture used to talk about governance and government and authorities. But I think there's a way that we can read it that I could say is incorrect and what was helpful in me understanding this was Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay. That was on there also. Would encourage you all to read it. It's a great book. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Maybe unfortunately, that might be a collective sigh, but that's just the reality. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now in reading this, does that mean that we should just accept a corrupt and evil wicked government and corrupt and evil wicked laws and not try to remove them? No. On face value, that we could appear to, to, to read that. But there's an emphasis of Paul saying, what is good? And if you do good, that you should be fine, and that evil will be punished. There's an understanding that there is morality, and I would, I would encourage you to try finding a law that, is, has to do, hasn't, that has nothing to do with morality. That's a law that has, it's morality neutral. Our, our laws are moral. Or saying whether something is right or wrong. That's just the fa- foundation of it. We as a people need to recognize when something is evil and be able to call it out and be faithful to do that. There's a great story of the confessing church in Nazi Germany in 1934. They came out with the Articles of Confession and they stated really simply Jesus is Lord, and anything else is not Lord. Hitler is not Lord. And they made these confessions of the church needs to be clear about what is truth, what is righteousness, what is justice, or there will be reckoning. And they added more over and over again. And in 1935, one of their last articles that they published, they said, Nazi Germany, this isn't just an ideal. This is a whole new religion. And we need to completely come against that. And in rebuking Nazi Germany and this religious system that was infiltrating their government, 700 of their pastors got arrested the following month. And the Confessing Church went under immense persecution, put into concentration camps, and then there they faithfully lived out the reality of what they confessed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was preaching a sermon the day that he was executed, and when they pulled him aside, he gave a hug to everyone. And he said, "Today my life begins, but this is the last time you see me, the, the the kingdom of God is greater than any governmental authority." And when it's time and it's appropriate, we need to speak out against it when it's corrupt. And when there's laws that are corrupt, we need to have the courage to speak against it and to help see those undo. But a greater reality of that is how are we living? I would would venture to guess that most of us in here don't have the sphere of influence, most, not all, you might, sphere of influence to see laws change in our land. But So when you go to heaven, he's not going to ask you, he might ask you who you voted for, and he might give you judgment on that. He might, I don't know. I know what he will ask you, though, is did you love well? Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Did you see the kingdom of God manifest in your life and in your sphere of influence? When people in your congregation were a different partisan of you, different party of you, could you still take communion with them and knowing the information you had about them, about who they voted for, or their political opinions, did your affections and your heart towards them change? Or did you continue to maintain love and maintain humility and unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Did you continue to live out the realities of his character with the people that you might disagree with? Did disagreement bring you closer, not because you came on the same page, but because you're under the same king? That's the reality that we need to live and embody as the church. Because unfortunately, right now, in America, there's a study in the book uh, Faithful Presence by Bill Haslam. He was a governor of Tennessee. He shares a study that, study that was done in 2014 about uh, this view that you can have that your, your foundations and beliefs are based on love and the opponents are based on hate. And they did a survey judging Republicans and Democrats, and they found that the contempt that either party had believing that their foundation was love and the other was hate, was the same intensity as the, the uh, conflict between Pakistan and India. That the intensity that they had of, I'm based on love and you're based on hate, and then that would slowly pull those even further away where they can't come to agreement and compromise. And so he proposes, if our culture, if our country, is unable to form people, that in the midst of disagreement can come together and love each other, the church has to be the one that fills that void. The church has to be that one. Because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to break down any hostility between us by making us a new people that are submitted to him. And there are things that we need to be clear on. So we desire that people who are Republicans or Democrats in our congregation. And what I'm telling you and asking you and saying that your call from heaven is is regardless, regardless of your partisanship, it's not about being whatever partisanship is. The church is political and prophetic. You need to bring the kingdom of God in your sphere, and you need to be a prophetic voice speaking truth to, to your party when things are going wrong. Because there's kingdom issues, and those kingdom issues need to be communicated, and we need to have the boldness and courage to do that whether our party is in power or not. And as a a congregation, we need to talk with each other to... I'm not going to talk about that right now. Okay, great. (laughs) So we're going to end. Well, we have two things to end. All right. Three things for us to do as a church. Incarnation, inquiry, and advocacy. Okay? We need to be incarnation of the love of Jesus. He sat and people enjoyed being around him. Even people that hated him and mocked him still invited him over for dinner. (laughs) The Pharisees that were like, this guy has a demon in him. Hey, uh, do you want dinner? I'm like, gonna (laughs) come over here, like, hey guys, I had Jesus at my house. Bobby has a demon. But what do you think about this? You know, it's crazy. They were mocking him and continually making fun of him, and he willingly ate with them. That's wild. And then tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes. Anyone loved to be with him and eat with him. And he never compromised truth, but he loved people so deeply. We need to be a church that incarnates the love of Jesus. And when our love falls short of his love, we need to repent. That's who we're called to be. We we need to be the embodiment of his love that when people see the church of Christ, when they see the body of Christ, that they're encountering him and encountering his love. And they encounter in us. And the second is that we need to inquire for understanding. Uh, Steve mentioned this to me, it was like two years ago during COVID, and I was reading a lot of things and like asking people for advice because all college students left because of COVID. Uh, so I had a lot of free time and he said this this week and then another friend told me the exact same thing later on. I was like, huh, maybe there's something here. He said, humility is, know- is-, is knowing, having awareness that what you don't know might be more important than what you do know. And that we will not have the depth and the infinite depth of knowledge. We won't arrive to the end. That there needs to be a humility that we might not have the best and right answer and right understanding. And we need to be humble enough to ask and understand someone's position. So i encourage us in political conversations, which I hope that we have as a congregation, I hope they bring us closer together, that we would seek to understand before being understood. And that after hearing someone's Position that we could articulate articulate it to them and they could say, yes, that's exactly my position. You understand it well. And the second thing is that we need to advocate for truth and not be afraid of advocating for truth. To not shy away from it. Even if it costs us something. But we need to do it in gentleness. We need it with peace. Actually, we'll read that. James chapter 3. And band, you can come up for uh, keys or... What are we playing in the background? James chapter three. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure. It's peaceable, gentle, and it's open to reason. It can be reasoned with. (laughs) If you enter in a conversation and are unwilling to change your position, given adequate information and truth, you're not ready to have conversations. We need to be people that are emotionally whole enough that are open to reason and open to being examined and examining someone else's ideas and positions and land on the side of truth and what we have found to be true. That means we need good information, but we also need to be willingness to say, I'm wrong, and I changed my mind. Reading a few books uh, this past week, I had a position, and that changed. I, 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 was not will, I was not ready to change. I didn't expect to, but as I was reading some of these things, I was like, wow, okay. They, prefer, they put down such a good argument. I don't have anything to say against that of, that's, that's right, and I, I was wrong, or I feel wrong. And I can talk to you about that later if you want to. Continuing on, it's full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We need humility and we need to seek wisdom together. There are some things that are extremely clear in Scripture that we need to advocate for. Then there's other things that aren't that clear in Scripture that we need wisdom for. And that's good. And we need experts for. And we need to have a conversation for. To meet together with and understand each other. And we need to pursue wisdom aggressively, eagerly, and be willing to change. But a, a Christian's political posture, which I had in college, granted I went to A&M, so this was mostly conservative, and it didn't feel like, you know, whoop, gig em. Uh, We're going to win national championship this year, just watch. Uh, and I, I, I thought that as I started following Jesus, I was like, no, all we need is the kingdom of God, and we don't need, we don't need anything else. Actually, I don't even need to agree anymore. I'm going to quit. I'm just going to move somewhere. That's, that's what I need to do. I need to follow Jesus by, like, leaving everything, which, yeah, that's what uh, Jesus said, of leave everything and go to be on your own, and that's how you'll faithfully follow me. <laughs> he said, like, go, go into the world. Um, so I, I had a, a low view, but one of the views I carried from people around me peers, we were 18, therefore didn't know a ton, uh, that the best Christian response was like, to be like, I'm out. Sorry, sorry, politics, it's too messy. Uh, and that we could call, you're trying not to get tainted by the world, but that's not how Jesus calls us. He calls us to engage in it. So I would, I would say to you, a Christian posture can't be withdrawal. It has to be faithful presence. I'm manifesting, um, I'm incarnating the love and values of Jesus where I am. It has to be faithful presence. We can't withdraw. But we also can't try to say, I'm going to establish this and make this the law of the land. That's not how our government works, and that's not reality, and that's not going to change things. We can't, good luck trying to establish the law as a Sabbath. <laughs> and it's not the purpose. But there are sins and there's all realities that we need to advocate for. There's other things that require a lot of wisdom, which means we need to have humility in talking with one another. All right. This is how we're going to end. Everyone, stand. And you're going to break up into groups. If you need to get your kids, uh, you can do that. But we're going, to, we're going to, this is one of the most simple things that we can obey. You can thank Timothy Moza for putting this together as I asked him to earlier this morning. We're going to pray for our rulers, authorities, people put in high positions, and we're going to pray for them by name. And if they are not with your political party, I would encourage you to pray and to love them as if they were. To love them and see them for who they are and ask for wisdom. Because, because Paul said it's good. So 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, First of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, giving thanks, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is Good. And it is pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we can start off with national. Might be kind of tiny. Sorry for you. Woo! Federal civil servants. So we got, we will not go through all of them, but we're gonna, we'll post this uh, PowerPoint online under the sermon that you can look through. We have everything from federal, state, local, your city, your county. We have them all because of Tim. Thank you, Tim. Uh, once again. So break up into groups and I want you to pray for these people by name. You have to go pretty quickly but I want you to say, your group to say every single one of their names at least once and pray that the grace of God would be upon them. That they would be led, they would lead in wisdom. That they would come to knowledge of Him and they'd know Him. That they would there would be conviction to establish justice and righteousness in the land. That there'd be deep understanding uh, for them. That they'd get saved. That they'd come to knowledge of Him. That there'd be peace. I want to. Regardless of their political party, I want our leaders to operate out of a place of peace, not anxiety. I want to pray that they, they would make bridges to bring unity together in our country. So let's be the church that prays for those things and doesn't complain about them. Amen? Amen. Great. All right, break into groups and you're gonna start praying. Back on, I think I did. All right. So this is how we're going to end. You get part two. I forgot one point of my sermon. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm being serious. I'm going to give you another part of my sermon. Uh, but will be really brief. And this is how we're ending. There are three institutions that God gives. The family, the church, and the state. So I mentioned a lot talking about the state. But the institution that is the, the most, the two most political things that you can do, the most politically transformative things that you can do is in your family be a faithful and loving spouse to your spouse to deeply love your children out of that overflow and affection for each other and to invite people into your family and then the second thing is to be involved in the local church to get involved in community and to submit to a body of believers to submit to a community submission requires saying I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to respect you and honor you for how, who, who God made you to be And I'm willing to say I'm wrong. These are two institutions by God, and they are pre-political. They're before governments. The the, the church will exist. It existed before Jesus, or whoo, before the United States. And after the United States is done, the church will still exist. This is a reality. The church is an institution that's pre-political. And the family will continue to exist, regardless of what government, regardless of what nation. The family will exist because it's been created and instituted by God and that is our first political engagement. It's our family and our church. Head a little slip there. My bad. It's just the four hours of sleep kicking in. Have mercy, Lord. Um, so, if you don't, you're not involved in our community in a deep way, whether through Life Group or um, any other thing like that, I'd encourage you to get involved because you weren't made to do this alone and You can't acquire wisdom by yourself. The reality is you need the spirit of God and you need the people of God. You need to be in the community. We're not meant to do it alone. We need each other. So this week, if Life Group is actually happening, I don't know if Life Groups are happening. Some Life Groups are happening, some aren't. I would encourage you to get into Life Group. Be involved um, and be faithful to your family. And we talk about that a lot in discipleship and we'll continue to talk about that. So be blessed. Thank you for your time. Get your kids. Enjoy this Sunday. Happy August, schools around the corner.